Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why did a Harvard professor go public with a belief that alien abductions actually take place? How did his colleagues react? Did he really die in a traffic accident? Hey there, and welcome to the 534th edi- or 34th, <laughs> 38th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those unexpected unexpected questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, uh, we talk about the strange life and death of Harvard uh, psychiatric professor and Pulitzer Prize winning Dr. John Mack. Uh, And uh, we welcome your calls this evening. If you feel so inclined, the number is 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the uh, U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Denise David Williams is president and producer of Make Magic Productions in Los Angeles, California, a graduate of Hofstra University and the graduate producing program at the University of Southern California. Denise has a long list of film credits as part of production and editing teams for movies, including E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and television. Now as head of her own production company, Denise has been granted the life rights by the Mack family to do a major motion picture about Dr. Mack. The website's johnmackmovie.com. And makemagicproductions.com slash John Mack. Mack being spelled M-A-C-K. So, Denise David Williams, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi. Hey, hey guys. Hi, Paul and Ben. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. So, let's uh, start off with something easy. So, who was Dr. John Mack, and how did he uh, come to believe that alien abductions are real? And what were his actual beliefs? Yeah. Uh, before I answer that question, I would just like to clarify in uh, your reading my bio that uh, in terms of ET, I was an intern, and I don't want anyone thinking that you know I I had anything substantial to do with that film. You went Spielberg's right hand uh, person there. Yeah. You got the yeah, coffee. Exactly. That is, that is not correct. I that was my. I was actually still in film school, and I really had the privilege of uh, interning there. So just to, to set the record straight. Oh, thank you for clarifying. Um, so, sorry about that. Uh, ben knows all about internships yeah. on sets. Oh yes, yeah. yes indeed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm sorry, your question was about... So, who was Dr. John Mack? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So, Dr. John Mack was uh, a world-renowned scientist, a Pulitzer Prize winner, as you said, and a Harvard psychiatrist. He was was very left-brain, very... uh, He was an atheist, by his own admission, and um, he was asked to meet with people who claimed to be abducted by aliens. Well, this was completely out of his wheelhouse. He he didn't believe in it. Like I said, he was a left-brain, materialistic kind of guy. But he became very curious as a psychiatrist what the underlying psychiatric syndrome might be. So he agreed to use everything he had as a world-class psychiatrist to study them. But he was embarrassed to do it in his office at Harvard, so he set up a makeshift office in his home in his son's former bedroom. And one by one, these people came in. He went to great lengths to keep them apart so they wouldn't influence each other. And he studied them. And after studying over 200 of them, he was really shocked by his conclusions, his clinical assessment and judgment. He said to his wife, I know mental illness. These people are not mentally ill. They're not lying and they're not crazy. And so he continued to study abductees all around the world, in Australia and in Africa, and he was getting exact same abduction stories. And he came home and he compiled his findings in his what became his best-selling book, Abduction, 
Well, when Harvard heard about it, they were mortified that their head of psychiatry was on national television, meaning Oprah, Larry King, BBC, basically saying that aliens were real. So what they did was they convened a secret committee to try to discredit him, to take away his tenure, to ruin his reputation. And they did a pretty good job of it. For 14 months, they conducted what amounted to a witch hunt against him. But Dr. Mack, in spite of pretty much losing everything, his wife divorced him, he became a, a laughing stock in the press, um, his career suffered greatly, but in spite of that, he never backed down from defending what he called the experiencers. Once he became convinced that the that they not only were they telling the truth, but that they needed a champion, someone on his level, you know, someone with his credentials. And then in 2004, he was killed in London while crossing the street, uh, while crossing the street uh, by a drunk driver. That was the official record. So those are the broad strokes of his story, and to me, he's an incredible hero, extremely courageous for what he did and for what he sacrificed. And uh, what we're doing with the film is is really picking up the torch uh, and continuing the conversation on his behalf and bringing it into the mainstream where we believe it really needs to be. It's really time to be in the mainstream. Well, it certainly sounds as though it's got a lot of potential to be a very popular film. Uh, what's your timeline? Well, uh, you know, these kind of things are, are not carved in stone. Uh, but what we're doing and it is we have decided for various reasons, which I'm happy to address, to raise the money publicly to develop the script. And there's a really great reason for that. Uh, the reason being is that I came up against a bunch of obstacles in Hollywood. And although I've worked there for many years, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've decided to, to, to take this phase of the film independent, meaning so we can develop a script that is really true to Dr. Mack and true to what he was saying. And, and not some, you know, the aliens are coming and they're here to threaten us or scare us or take us over. Uh, that was not what Dr. Mack was saying. And I want to ensure the integrity of what he was saying. And so that's why, uh, number one, I can't really answer your question about what the timetable is because sure. it depends on how we're able to raise the funds to hire a writer and develop the script. Oh, no, I respect but I hope that. Yeah. Quickly. Well, we, yeah. we've been involved in productions where, you know, there are several producers I've refused to work with in the past because they just mess things up. They so the independence gives you, as you say, a chance to be honest. And uh, that's important, especially as a tribute. It's so important. Yeah. yeah, it's so important for a story like this. I mean, this is there are not many chances that we get to tell a story like Dr. Max. You know, it's just because there's... There's no one like him. Obviously, there are other researchers who did what he did, but nobody, in my opinion, took it as deep or as nuanced uh, or as expansive as Dr. Mack did. And that's what, that's what draws it to me, mm -hmm. what draws me to the subject matter, or, you know, I like to say it, it called me. Um, so, yeah, it's important that we get it right, and that's how I envision getting it right, that we're able to develop it independently. But it's hard. I yeah. mean, 
you know, I'm really grateful for you guys giving me this forum because it's, it's, you know, it's not easy to do, yeah. uh, to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you so, never know who's listening, you know? Um, yeah. how did, um, do you, do you buy the, uh, run over by a drunk driver story from London? Cause I've seen the drivers in London, probably you have too. So it's not too hard to believe. Right. But, uh, I mean, do you, do you buy that? Well, you know, the family and the family's official position is that he was killed by a drunk driver. The drunk driver was called into court and, and that, you know, that was determined to be the official record. So I personally have not put a lot of thought into conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah, you have to be careful. Uh, sort of you know thing. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, my, I guess my answer to your question is I, I take it at face value at this point. When we're actually researching more deeply for the to develop a screenplay, there'll be conversations about that. But I don't think that's the point of the story. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you come to know the Mac family? Well... How I came to know about John Mack is uh, pretty serendipitous. In 2006, and that's how long I've been on this path, sort of on my own, trudging, <laughs> trudging this road, yeah. was my ears started ringing. And if anybody understands this kind of thing, it's you guys, and you're probably your audience. My ears started ringing, and it was kind of freaked me out. Because was like, what is this? And then I started to get an intuitive message which is not uncommon for me to be tapped into my intuition, that gave me very specific directions to find a certain person who did a certain kind of work and go see her. And so I did. I went, okay, I hear what I'm hearing, and I'm going to go do that. And when I got to the place where I met this woman, she told me about John Mack and said, I've been trying to get someone's attention in Hollywood, and no one will call me back, and no one will, you know, pay attention, and so I'm giving this to you. And that's how I found out about John Mack. And as soon as she told me about him, I just, I knew that it was something that, that I was supposed to pick up and run with. And so I started to research him, and the more I researched him, the more I just said, wow, this is why I came to the planet, because it was a total intersection of, my experience in the business, and my lifelong pursuit of the truth, of metaphysics, of the, the subject of consciousness, the whole thing. It was just, it just felt like this, it called me. And so I found his family, I tracked down his family, and we literally had a four and a half year dialogue hmm. in order for them to say, okay, we trust you. Here are the life rights. You, you can do the movie so that's um that's how that happened certainly a lot of dedication on your part certainly right a lot of dedication oh yes it definitely shows so um tell us about the movie like what what exactly are you going to be uh looking at going over and all that stuff yeah well my vision of the film is that it covers the I mean, we see who John Mack was before he began the research with the abductees because it's important to see how he changed as a man. Um, and, and we take the journey through his eyes. So whether or not the audience believes or doesn't believe in the phenomenon of aliens and UFOs, it doesn't really matter. The most important thing is that the audience believes that John Mack believes. 
That's the most important thing for that character. And so we see him begin who he was before and then see his resistance to work with these abductees. And then we see him starting to work with them. We see the incredible emotion and trauma and all of all of the, you know, that goes with what the experiencers say they go through from having these experiences. We see John go through this and and then become a believer and then go up against Harvard. And, you know, what it means for this one man to go up against this great institution so who is so entrenched in their paradigm, you know, that they're their three-dimensional reality is the only one, is the one that's real. Right. I mean, and, and, and they even said to John during the trial, John, if only you had asked, told us you had discovered a new psychiatric syndrome, but you're asking us to redefine reality. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's so that too much is of a step for definitely, them. yeah, way too much of a step. But that, that to me is at the heart of the story and at the heart of the conflict, you know, the old paradigm versus the new paradigm, mm-hmm. and and how hard that is to, you know, to shift. So that's those are just the general ideas of of um, what the movie encompasses. Um, but I envision it kind of like a beautiful mind with some of the great. Uh, if you recall, the insider. How yeah, the, the film with Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, that was very so, good. Certainly, yeah. uh, certainly, I got the job done on in that case. How many experiencers did John Mack work with over the course of his? And first, of all, when, when did it begin? About what year did he become interested in the subject and start interviewing people? Yeah, he was first contacted, no pun intended, in 1990 <laughs> <laughs> by good a one, gentleman. Well, actually, what happened was he attended a workshop here in California with a, a man named Stan Groff, who is very well known in the transpersonal psychology arena. Yeah. And Stan gave John a chapter of a book called Alien Encounters and the Crisis of Transformation. And he, he wanted John's opinion. And John read it, and he really didn't think much of it. He had asked Carl Sagan some years earlier, you know, what he thought of the phenomenon, and he said, John, there's nothing to it. So John had dismissed it. But after he read that chapter, he was introduced to Bud Hopkins. Oh, we knew Bud, yeah. You all know. And and Bud needed help because he had been this support person for abductees for many, many years, and he really needed someone like John Mack, a psychiatrist with the credentials and the expertise. So John went to visit him, and Bud had a shoebox full of letters from people from all over the world who had had abduction experiences, and he handed them to John and said, John, in my opinion, these people are perfectly sane, but you're the psychiatrist, you decide. And so that's how John got involved, and that was in 1990. Mm -hmm. And so he started studying them by 1992. He was well into it. By 1994, he wrote Abduction, which became his best-selling book. And that's when Harvard, that's when the trial took place, when the secret committee was formed, 1994. And then he really went through it for several more years. 1998, he wrote Passport to the Cosmos, Mm -hmm. which was kind of his final word on the phenomenon. It's a wonderful book. It's, uh, like very nuanced and deep. And, and then he, and then 9-11 happened and 
his attention kind of reverted back to some original interest, which was international conflict and and that kind of thing. And he felt like he was then preaching to the choir, you know, that that um, he, he just he moved on from it, and he and he actually got into studying continued consciousness uh, with a physicist named Russell Targ. Oh, we know him too. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, then yeah, we you get know around. That he, yeah, so Russell's daughter, Elizabeth, had passed away, and John and Russell became very interested in studying, you know, life after death, what mm-hmm. happens to consciousness when we pass. Sure. All right. Um, yeah. One of the um, interesting, one of the questions I've never really been able to find uh, much about, and I have not had a chance to read Passport to the Cosmos, and that, that perhaps has the answer, but I'm wondering what... Um, what, what personal beliefs Mac might have had, Dr. Mac might have had, about whatever is behind this phenomenon, if, if it's real, the alien abduction phenomenon, who's doing it, what is their nature, and what is their agenda? Have you been able to discover much about that? Well, I mean, it's, that's, it's so huge, and that really is, it is you know, all, that's what we're asking, right? We all want to sure. know that. So initially, John interpreted it very literally, like Bud Hopkins, like David Jacobs, like other researchers. He, he was like, okay, this is a three-dimensional experience. Uh, he wasn't quite sure what the agenda was. But then after several years, he, he really changed his thinking about it, which, again, makes him so fascinating to me. He said, no, this is something, he, he thought it was more of a crossover experience that it was more interdimensional. And that's, well, that's when interesting. He got into that, the, that's our approach. Yeah, that it was more, um, you know, that, and that's why he called for a paradigm shift to understand it. Mm-hmm. He said as long as we're trying to understand it from our three-dimensional point of view, we're never going to understand well, it. Absolutely. Because it doesn't operate that way. It mm-hmm. operates differently, right? So uh, that's, you know, that's where he traveled, and that's how it, it really changed him. By his own admission, and these are his words, he said that he became more intuitive, more heart-based. He became a very spiritual man, mm-hmm. which is a you know, subjective term, but that's the sure. term that he used. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's deep. He took it, he took it uh, to a deeper level. Mm-hmm. One of the things that strikes us very frequently is the the variety of approaches to the UFO phenomenon in general and uh, the abduction phenomenon in particular. I'm thinking of the Phoenix Lights issues down in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, I believe that I myself am a witness to that from a from an airplane. And we were talking with one of the uh, a very dear friend of ours who was a big cheese in the MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Yesterday, Spencer Spencer sounds kind of like you're saying yes. muffin, but Whatever, MUFON, MUFON, whatever. People pronounce it differently. But in any case, yeah. uh, he, uh, the, the, the whole issue of, of the uh, Phoenix Lights has made many of the people who are investigating it, and I'm thinking of Lynn Kitai and um, several others, who feel very positively about this, that this, uh, whatever this may be, is not of this earth, and it, it gives them a sense of peace and of, of protection and things of this kind even seeing it. Now, I didn't particularly get that impression when I saw these lights, if that's what they were. Uh, on the other hand, you have people like Nigel Kerner in the U.K. who were convinced these are 
there is a dark purpose behind this. Um, person, I don't know about Ben, but I personally favor a more, I suppose, dark interpretation of many of these things. I mean, after all, people... Well, the thing that bothers me is that people put human traits on non-human things. Yes, yes. Which, A, isn't fair to that creature, and B, it's it's um, quite an assumption to make for an entirely inhuman being to be given human emotions. Particularly out of... Yes, particularly as Denise says. That's a really great point. I, and and I, I, I think that's very... I mean, it's it's possibly all true because isn't everything perception? I mean, we all bring sure. our individual perception to something, and so in a way, we could all be right because it's all based on the, the, the lens through which we're looking. I mean, John John Mack had a, an analogy that I think addresses this in a really wonderful way. He said when you take a baby to the doctor for a vaccination, it doesn't like getting stuck with a needle and poked and prodded and it'll scream and, it, and it's very traumatic from the baby's level of consciousness. But from the parent's level of consciousness and the doctor's level of consciousness, it really is for the baby's well-being. So he made that analogy to the abduction experience for many people who were taken and poked and prodded. Um, I mean, that's easy for someone to say who hasn't had the experience, but that is Dr. Max. That was his analogy, and I think it's really provocative and something to think about. Well, it's quite a relativistic <laughs> argument, I'd say. I mean, there has to be some sort of truth out there. I mean, there could be a seed of truth in all things, but there has to be one thing that is correct. Yeah, there, there has to be some... Well, uh, yeah, unless the, well I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Denise. I was just going to say, look at our human... Look at mankind. I mean, there are all ends of the spectrum, you know, and there's one end of the spectrum, there's what we would probably identify as evil, and then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, completely benevolent and uh, peace-loving and, you know, all light and love, so isn't that possible for the intelligences in the universe that they also encompass full spectrum? Well, I mean, there is, there is um, um, and a theory that that we only experience these certain emotions because of pressure and gravity. I mean, hence, when people have high blood pressure, they're more likely to get angry. When you're out in space, gravity's different. So therefore, your blood pressure is different. So if we know anything about like these the, their, their neurology, one would say that the gravity that's enacted upon them, if I am correct in saying this, then one would say that they a, are either amoral or have different morals than we do, well, I, I see what Denise is saying here, Ben, uh, and I think perhaps we could expand a bit on, on the subject, uh, Denise, if you're willing. Uh, the idea that all possibilities are out there uh, implies strongly that there is more than one race of aliens or whatever, regardless if, if, if they're, they're coming from nuts and bolts spacecraft or from you know, uh, parallel worlds, yeah, as we yeah. suspect that at least some of them are. Mm-hmm. So uh, did, did uh, John Mack get into this, the idea of multiple races? I mean, did he encounter that in his interviews with people, or what, what's, what's the story on that? Yeah, he did. I mean, his, his, um, in his book, Abduction, he, he, he talks about, well, he gives uh, accounts of different patients. Each chapter is devoted to a, a different patient. And they all, they have, although they have similar experiences. They also have very differing experiences with different kinds of beings. Some are, you know, light and love and beautiful and it's it's, it's an incredibly transformative experience from beginning to end. 
Others have experiences with very frightening, I mean, I hate to use the word, but reptilian kind of beings who, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not such a, you know, pleasant experience, but a lot of times they get to the other side of the trauma. You know, one thing that Dr. Mack said was that the abduction experience is not unlike the shamanic journey where the student gets pushed off the cliff or has to jump off the cliff and face their worst fears. But when they get through it, they're spiritually transformed. A lot of the people that John worked with had that experience. When they got through the terror, and the terror is, you know, based on their physical reaction because there's nothing in our human brain that can account for it. John called it ontological shock. You know, it's like we just have no frame of reference for that kind of experience. That's Taken, the problem, yeah. Yeah, up through the roof onto a ship with beings who we don't recognize. There's, We just have no frame of reference for it. Um, but my question, to go back to what we were saying before, ha- is there really any evidence that these beings, whether they're three-dimensional or whether they're multi-dimensional, have ever truly threatened us? I, I think not. Do you, do you gentlemen know? Well, uh, well, why don't we hold that till after the break? Yeah, yeah. We do have to take a break. <laughs> I love so. when the guest asks, asks, uh, asks us questions. Anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Denise David-Williams and the story of John Mack, Dr. John. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. When I first started doing my show, a program director with a mischievous sense of humor started a rumor that I did the show in the nude. Not true. But you'll get the naked truth and an astrological chart that I do for you. I uncover every aspect of your life, helping you to strip away your problems and give you insight to your future. If you're seeking the real skinny for this exciting year, call me for information on getting your individual chart or update done at 401-333-4048 and get your free lucky numbers for the entire year. Don't come home from a casino in a barrel. From the top to the bottom of every page will bear the facts about you and your future. Call me at 401-333-4048 for a real eye-opener. I'm also available for speaking engagements for your club or groups and for private parties. Russ, put your clothes back on. Okay. Well, there we are. Russ Gorman. Uh, we're going to um, return to the show here in a minute, but I just wanted to remind you of the charities Ben and I have adopted. There are quite a few of them, uh, certainly a number of veterans' charities. Uh, locally, uh, the um, buildershelpingheroes.org, check that out. They build, they literally built a great, uh, huge home, for, especially adopted home for a veteran who had lost both his legs in Afghanistan in combat, and that's in Burlville, Rhode Island, right in our listing area. And certainly uh, check that out, buildershelpingheroes.org. Also, uh, usacares.org. They do, do great uh, things as far as helping uh, financially build uh, the, uh, home, the veterans and their families. And also in Canada, a Canadian Veterans Advocacy, our friend Mike Blaze in Ontario has done a lot of stuff uh, legislatively to keep things going for the veterans there who, as you know, have been with us since the beginning of the uh, war on terror. I guess that's not a popular term anymore, but it's what it is. And also a youth mentoring connection out in Dennis, uh, Denise's um, 
neck of the woods out in Los Angeles. Uh, Tony Larray out there doing wonderful things with youth using ancient wisdom. And it's not weird or strange or occult or anything. It's, it's good practical stuff uh, that is, is applied uh, as what he calls a Saubona leadership, a Zulu word that means I see you. And uh, he talked about that on the show. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of great results out there. And now um, his wife is bringing it to corporate America, that sort of new ideas about how to uh, have leadership for a new generation. So Youth Mentoring Connection, uh, youthmentoring.org, check that out too. So let's get back to our a very interesting guest, Denise, uh, Denise David Williams, uh, who was producing a film out there in uh, Lotus Land uh, about Dr. John Mack, the great Harvard professor, great in our opinion certainly, uh, who believed uh, through his research, came to believe that UFO abductions actually uh, take place. So, uh, Denise, uh, ben, you, you wanted, Denise asked us a question before the break. Uh, do you want to kind of take it away? Right. So the question was essentially, um, there are no documented experiences of uh, any sort of um, alien creature, whether it be fun, uh, the two-dimensional, three-dimensional, multi-dimensional, whatever-dimensional uh, critter uh, hurting anybody. Well, first we must define our terms here. What do you mean by alien, Denise? Well, I think we all kind of, uh, you know, alien is non-human that has either literally come into our physical space or in a, you know, interdimensionally come into our space. Um, but the reason I'm asking that question is to what we were saying before, the point we were saying before about they're here to threaten us or to do something with evil intention. And the question is, well, really have they, of all the people in the world who have either had these experiences or believe in these experiences, it, are the, is there any evidence that they've tried to harm us? Well, uh, uh, can and I take that one? Is, please, no. okay. Yeah, please. Okay, Denise, uh, th this is going to come up at two UFO conferences we've been invited to speak at, and we'll talk uh -huh. about that at the end of the show. Uh -huh. We, uh, when when I, I started out in the early 70s researching ghosts, uh, I found that I was running into, first of all, an idea that the original idea that we have about ghosts, the classical idea, just wasn't, this didn't do it. it there was more to it than that. And eventually we started, and, and certainly Ben and I working together since 05 have run into cases. Uh, that's what we were doing with the, the, the MUFON fellow yesterday uh, in Connecticut, and we were looking at a case that started with ghosts and ended up with UFOs. We think very often the interpretation of, the, of these phenomena depend, uh, on the, depends on the context in which the person experiences the, it. So if it's in a context that might suggest aliens, it's an alien. I don't think it's as, as, as stark as this, but in, also in the context of your, you know, somebody floating through your bedroom, aha, it's a ghost, you know. But we have run into entities that I refer to as parasites, and these are, I, I have no doubt, the origin of our folklore about demons, evil spirits, and even maybe vampires, because what they seem to do, they seem to be interdimensional creatures that will come in, and they're very alien in every sense of the word. I've actually been injured by by one, or at least, and this conversation would not be taking place if somebody hadn't screamed that I hadn't turned and seen a large leather uh, chair headed for my head in another case, uh, parasite case, I believe. And uh, th this sort of thing is um, is something that I think m might color our interpretation of many of these things. So if you can call these aliens, 
Sometimes they are seen in the context of lights in the sky or lights in the yard or We've whatever. We've even had documented cases where parasites have turned into greys. Yeah, exactly. People have thought they were dealing with aliens and they, they, they turned into parasitical entities or vice versa, depending on the context. So I think there is uh, there are at least some of them, wherever they come from, whenever they come from, or whatever method they use to get here, who are uh, definitely hungry and hostile. And that's wow. what makes us very nervous about it. I think if you expand your terms somewhat and, and, your, your, and broaden your definitions and broaden your view of this whole thing, you get into things like that, and it's not pretty. So that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and I'm going to put on my psychic armor. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, you do. And, and, you know, we, and that's no joke. No, right? it's true. And it just the whole idea, I, I mean, certainly an alien race is going to have different, as Ben pointed out, different morals and, and different standards. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, they're all wrong or that you're wrong. No, there are sentence. plenty of uh, very just, happy uh, little critters out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate and saying that we can't really know their motives, so I'm sort of neutral on the issue. Mm. Because you can't, like I said, you can't put, like, it's like putting human traits on a tree. You can't do that because, A, trees can't talk or feel emotions. Or maybe they can. They probably well, can't. They can, well, they can feel emotions. experiments in which they felt emotions. True. But That's another story. You're, you're destroying my analogy here. Sorry. But <laughs> my analogy being that it's, it's for non-human entities, it's very hard to figure out what their motives are because they don't share the same emotions as we do. Well, this gets back to a question. Unless Denise has another comment, please, please uh, comment if you wish. Please, but. Well, I think, you know, it's all correct. You know, it's such a huge area and such an obviously infinite universe. It's, it's you know, it's probably all correct. Uh, the focus on John Mack is interesting because it's it's not bad. I mean, to me... That's not any less valid, but that's. I think we've had a lot of that. We've had a lot of that in movies. Uh, we've had a lot of that in literature. We haven't had what John represented in a movie that I can think of. I mean, maybe yeah. you guys can think of it. No, I think, you know? I think you're probably well. There were a few. Uh, yeah. Trying to think of several. Well, there there were one one or two that were faked. I know this sort of thing. And, and but you you sound you're, you're right up our street as far as uh, doing things, uh, trying to do things honestly. Anyway. I don't know if you have these figures at your fingertips, Denise, but I was curious about how many of Dr. Mack's experiencers had positive experiences with the abduction phenomenon or and how many had negative experiences from our point of view. Right. Well, again, what made John Mack as a researcher slash doctor, because that was, that was actually part of the problem that Harvard had with the work that he was doing beyond the obvious of the subject matter was that, are these your research subjects or are these your patients? But anyway, according to his data, most of them were, most of them, the majority were traumatized, but, but a lot of them, when they got beyond the trauma, were transformed. And um, so who's to say if you know, if everyone had, was able to get beyond the trauma, that the phenomenon wasn't always transformative. You know, you, you can't say. But there are enough of his patients who, who are so articulate about having gone through this terrifying shamanic kind of experience and coming out the other end and 
you know, like kind of seeing the light. And Peter Faust, I don't know if you guys are um, know about Peter. Peter was no, the guy about who appeared on Oprah. Yeah. He, he appeared on Oprah with John. He went on the speaking circuit with John and uh, back in the 90s. And, I mean, his abduction stories are astounding what he went through but he also went all the way through it and to come out on the other end mm-hmm. he you know actually there's a video of him on our johnmacmovie.com website that he did just a couple weeks ago and you see who he is today and you know he's quite an extraordinary human being well and we know graham hancock who gets into the abduction well. yeah okay yeah. I, uh, before we burn up the hour here, Denise, why don't you give the, the websites again and uh, you know, anything you'd like to do about the movie, and let's let people know about that. Yeah, so it's johnmacmovie.com, and, you know, how can I impress upon the fact that we really need help? We really need help. people who care about the subject matter, who believe that there would be great value in doing a film about John Mack's work, and the credibility that John gave the subject matter to be able to, you know, bring it into the mainstream and spark a sincere dialogue that we're not alone in the universe. But in order to do that, for many reasons, I I can't seem to accomplish that in Hollywood. So I'm coming, I'm just asking people to help us develop the script. And what does that mean? It means so that, you know, that under my company umbrella, we can hire a writer and tell the story that we promised the family we would tell, the abductees that we would tell, um, and we can't. I can't do it alone. I, that's why I'm asking for people to donate whatever they possibly can and know that it's for a really, really good reason. Sure. You know, to yeah. start this, to bring this into the mainstream. Well, we'll be happy to help in any way we can. Certainly. Oh yeah. Um, Let's let's get back into the subject of uh, of how Dr. Mack did his interviews with people. Was I believe hypnotism was involved? Well, he was a Freudian psychiatrist, which means he used talk therapy. Right. So he he interviewed that. That was what he used as a you know as a psychiatrist. Oh, okay, so I'm and about another, that. All right. Well, no, no, you are right, but he started with talk therapy. Okay. And, uh, you know, Harvard had a problem with that. They said, well, but you're, you're working outside of science. And he said, but I'm working inside of psychiatry. Yeah. So, but, and, and that's how he worked with his patients, by talking with them. But then he also did use hypnosis, which was very controversial because, you know, Harvard said, well, you're influencing people while they're under. Yeah, that was a, that was a criticism of Bud Hopkins as well. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's kind of bogus, but they, they, they did, yeah, they criticized him heavily for that. Because the reason I ask is because when, you know, in the 70s, hypnotism was big, and then it fell out of favor, and then by the time the 90s came around, it was being rehabilitated as a, I think mainly through transpersonal psychology, it was being rehabilitated as a method for you know, getting to the bottom of things, including um, regression therapies, things of this kind, and the abduction experience as well. Uh, so he obviously used it. And, uh, I mean, what, what were his methods on that? I mean, what, what sort of questions would he ask? Or would he, well, or would he not he, ask questions? Just 
he he would lead well lead <laughs> that's a misleading word but he would guide <laughs> <good>. them yeah. <laughs> he would guide them through you know I, I i don't know how a psychiatrist does it exactly but he would guide them to relax and open up and tap that subconscious part of their mind that was holding the experience and um they're still doing that today, and there are several people around who I've met. You probably know of them who are hypnotherapists who are helping abductees with the same method. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, there must be some some validity to it. Well, that's it. Uh, all right. What about the uh, the idea of um, um, well, I don't I don't know if the, if the, he I don't think he got into the animals. Uh, there's been some speculation in the field about. Um, Animals having abduction experiences. I mean, you know, there, there was certain a number of people who think that uh, if it's logical that they abduct humans for some sort of experiments, I mean, if that in, is indeed what's going on, then um, how how about animals? I mean, you know, of course, you have the the uh, mutilation phenomenon. I don't think he got into that, but uh, did that ever come up at all uh, in interviews with people about their animals being included, or, or did it ever come up? Wow. At all? Um, God, I don't know, but maybe that's why my bark, my dog goes nuts in the night. <laughs> yeah, well, well, which leads me, leads me to a question about the Dr. Max's own experiences. Did he ever believe that he himself had, in the, the specific sense, uh, an abduction experience or any paranormal experiences at all that you know about? It would be rare for someone not to have anything that might be interpreted. I know, but he did. He actually did not, and it was a uh, uh, really big disappointment to him that <laughs> I know the feeling and not a lot happens to me either yeah it's not interesting I mean obviously people cannot just like you know snap their fingers and and have the experience um, as much as producers would like them to on certain television shows I'm sure yeah, yeah. exactly yeah but no he never did may I ask you about yourself have you ever had uh, sure. to, to be interested in this subject did you perhaps have an experience of your own of some kind well, I had an experience, but to, to be honest, I, I really don't make much of it because I've had so many, so many uh, interdimensional other kinds of experiences, literally from the day I was born. Mm -hmm. That's the one where I think there were like little great beings next to me. Well, it just was such a benign kind of experience. I don't put much stock in it. I mean, at least as I've far as you remember it. See, yeah, see that's I'm, the question. Do do we remember the bad parts if there are bad parts? Uh, do we remember the whole experience? Well, and uh, in in saying that maybe we do, are we not using our own three dimensional paradigm as a platform on which to answer the question? You see what I'm getting to. I mean, is is this really what it appears to be? Is in the paranormal nothing really is, and we really don't know. I suppose, but but go ahead. Well, I, I, I guess to be specific. Uh, to answer your question, I, I've had dead people talk to me, you know, all my whole life, you know, and it was very real and I had no reason to have most of the information that was coming to me. It's just, I guess you would call me, you know, highly intuitive or maybe even psychic, I don't know. But sure. so when you've had a lifetime of those experiences, to have an experience where it was 4.30 in the morning, I used to go hiking in the mountains alone, I, I liked it, and one morning I uh, veered off 
and it was kind of foggy, and all of a sudden, on either side of me, there were three little beings, three and three. And what I remember from it was the fear, you know, like this immediate sense of fear in my body. It's like I braced myself, okay, okay, nothing to be afraid of. And I actually didn't look left or right because I was too afraid. But they took my hands and walked me up to the top of the mountain. And when we got up there, there was something. I, you know, I sound like crazy, but it was like a ship, I guess. And then they just kind of dissolved into the ship and went away. So it was very benign. And like I said, I don't, I could question it and go, did that really happen? Or I could say, like John Mack said, in order to really understand it, we have to redefine reality. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't you give us your websites one more time? Uh, ben, uh, oh, before, before you do that, Ben, do you have any further questions? Yeah. Uh, nope. Okay, uh, give us your websites one more time, please, Denise. And, uh, uh-huh. com. Very good. Okay, well, we're just about near the end of our hour. We have one or two things more to do. But, Denise, thank you so much for being with us. Very interesting conversation. Indeed. And uh, we'll be in touch off the air, try to help you out. Yeah, thanks for being with thank us. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Have a great okay. night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, I think we have time for a uh, mercifully short email, and I think next week we're probably going to do an open line show, but we want to let's start doing this. Ben, uh, this is your kind of email. Okie doke. Uh, hi, how does telepathy work, as I think I have it? Okay, I don't know who that's from, actually. Who knows? Uh, from yeah. Anonymous. Oh, George is from George. Oh. Uh, doesn't say where he's George from. George right, so George from Anonymous. And everyone else? How does telepathy work? Good basic question. Telepathy, first of all, as, as Ben suggested, define our terms. Telepathy is a, a communication and information uh, taken into one's brain, I suppose, from a non-physical source or by uh, non-physical means. In other words, you're not reading something out of a book. You're just apprehending it somehow, seemingly out of the air. Okay. Uh, how does it work? Well... I can tell you how other people think it works. They think there's some sort of a communication, electrical communication between brains, all right? And there is uh, something to be said for that because each of us has a, a, a DC electrical, bioelectric field around our bodies. That's science. It's not occultism or anything else. We actually do. We are very much electrical creatures. And this, uh, when these, um, these, these, uh, well, I suppose in, in occultism it's known as the aura, but it's really the six of one, half dozen of the other, the bioelectric fields. When you're near someone, you feel more than a physical presence. It, it, you're, you're in touch with their bioelectric, bioelectric fields, uh, and that's true with animals as well. Uh, if you come near a horse, you know, there, there's a certain, not ritual, there's a certain a system by which you can approach the horse uh, and this sort of thing, or a dog or a cat, because the bioelectric fields have to learn to mesh. So I think that uh, there may be something to do with that as well, that, that that's probably true. On a deeper level, I think, and I, maybe I speak for Ben here too, that we, uh, it gets into the multiverse thing, surprisingly enough, that we live in many, many different worlds uh, at the same time. Uh, this is what the extreme reaches of quantum mechanics and quantum physics seems to be indicating without any doubt that we exist in many, many different worlds, and it's really all us. And then ultimately, we really are, in a very literal and concrete way, each other. Okay? It kind of does funny things to the notion of the individual. So that you are in uh, a world where you already have the information. Suppose, uh, let's take the idea of precognition. Okay, you have a, an expression that's going to be a, 
a traffic accident, and all of a sudden it takes place, okay? Well, you are perhaps unfortunately in the car where the accident occurs, or you're witnessing it in some other facet of yourself in some other world, and uh, the information is, is pretty much freely exchanged. That's what uh, intuition is, I think. And there, therefore, I think that's what telepathy is as well. So I think that's got something to do with it. Uh, okay, we have a caller. So I hope that answers your question there, George. Uh, you have it because it's a, it's a, it's a uh, mechanism that is pretty much a survival instinct in all of us. So everyone has it to some degree. So, Okay, let's uh, take a call from Bill. Bill, welcome back to the show. Hi. Um, my cat uh, passed away um, March 14, and... and and once or twice, I, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and 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 I can feel him on my bed at night. Like mm-hmm. last night, I, I felt him on the bed. Mm-hmm. But but he wasn't there. But you know, well, I, wasn't I could, he? I could, I could I feel mean, the vibration of him on the bed. Yeah, that's a very common experience, Bill. Uh, this we hear this practically, or I hear practically every day. And right. we were just talking about telepathy and the whole idea. And yeah, you you listen to us. You know, you've yeah. called in before. You know our attitude about these different worlds. And there, was, there, are, there are many close worlds in which, this, and, in which and your cat very, never died. And, and, I was very, and I was very, very close to the cat. Yes. Oh, sorry, by the way. That, you know, but, yes, dear. Yeah. But you know, I would approach that as... Because you remember when uh, we were always giving advice on this kind of thing. People lose loved ones and they always ask questions about it. And then when uh, my mother, Ben's grandmother, uh, passed or translated, as we say, in 2011, everybody said, okay, wise guy, well, how do you deal with loss like that? So it's not a loss. We don't look at it as a loss. Mm. We're, we're still with her in many, many different worlds yeah. where she never died. And so you're still with, with your cat. What was your cat's my name? Cat, my cat, oh, his name was uh, uh, Kitty. Kitty, oh, well, that's logical. All right. So you're, 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 you're with Kitty in many, many different worlds. But he's still sleeping. But he still hops on the bed with me at night, even though he's not here, you know? But he is there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that he's with you, but you're with him. Yeah. And, and your awareness, you're aware of the worlds where he never died. Yeah. See, and, and it's part of you. And, and uh, so that's out of why... the corner of my eye, once uh, I saw him laying on the bed, you know, and I, and I look and he wasn't there. Okay, yeah. No, very, very common. I hear about it all the time. And, and even my sister, sister who's, who's in bed downstairs, she, she's uh, felt him jump on the jump on the bed uh, mm-hmm. on, on her bed sure like, yeah. like he, he jumped on, on her bed the morning i told her he passed away and then, then a little, little while later he jumped on her bed like, like he was saying goodbye to her or something well that, that could be true uh, as well uh there, I, we were, I was talking to a fellow in new hampshire and he had he sees his cat the cat hadn't had died or anything but he saw that he sees the cat and his family does in several different places at oh, the yeah. same time Oh, yeah. That's the same thing I think you're experiencing. The cat just didn't hadn't died in this this particular universe here, this particular world, stream, yeah. this consciousness stream here. But and uh, that's why the whole thing of bilocation you hear about. We, we've actually done whole shows on that, and I think it's just a matter of parallel worlds here. And you know, I think that what's happening is that the, these world boundaries are thinning. Yeah. You know, because of uh, there's a lot of stuff going on astronomically in our neighborhood that's kind of odd. I've had a lot of uh, like. Like brief deja vu things. Like I walk into a room and I've, I've been there before. And Absolutely, I, yeah. It's all the same and I, principle. And, and I have to be here doing this at the, this exact moment, and then, mm-hmm. it, then it's gone. That's right. That's right. A, little bits of awareness of things that really are true. Yeah. These things are real, and it's because you you have been there, or you are there, 
in one of these parallel worlds. I mean, I, it's really a, a kind of elegant and simple kind of way to think of it, yeah. and I think that's, that's really true. I just, I just, I just had, to, had to mention that about the cat. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Well, enjoy Kitty. Okay. And uh, give her our best. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, Ben. We got uh, three minutes. Okay. Uh, no time. We have t- uh, all kinds of emails. All right. Well, let's uh, let's begin with our announcements then. Alrighty. So you can visit our show website at behindtheparanormal.com, where you can find over 550 free past shows from both Owen 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS uh, radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Also, check out our site at www.newenglandghosts.com, where there are case studies and uh, photos, along with articles by my dad. And we wanted to remind you of the two, and this is only, I guess, two and a half months away. Uh, the Exeter Kiwanis UFO Festival is coming up in Exeter, New Hampshire, on Saturday, August 30th. Ben and I will present a program on strange connections, UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts. And that kind of gets into what we're talking about with our guest this evening. Indeed. Uh, if you look beyond many of the phenomena that we commonly consider from our own framework as UFOs, you, know, you, you find a lot of commonalities with other kinds of paranormal phenomena. So that's Saturday, August 30th, and other speakers will include many people you've heard on our show, uh, the great Stanton Friedman, Bob Schroeder, uh, both of whom are a frequent guests, as you know, and we'll offer more information as it develops, and you can check HTTP, uh, well, we all know that, at www.exeterufofestival.com, and that'll be in the, right in the town hall. Uh, in the center of that lovely village. Indeed, so you can visit... Oh, I already said that. Ha! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Mondays. So next Monday, uh, June 16th, uh, we were supposed to welcome our friend Nick Pope, our friends uh, Nick Pope, uh, Jim Pennison, and John Burroughs for a look at the their new book um, about the Runners from Forest UFO incidents, but uh, something has come up for Jim, and we'd rather not proceed without him, so we're going to reschedule at this point. Uh, this looks like we're going to be doing an open-line show, so we'll be getting uh, through that giant stack of emails and or Facebook messages and or calls and all that other good stuff. Yeah, we're, we're trying to work in more more shows, but it's um, it's difficult with the number of fine guests we, we have lined up. So anyway, we'll probably do an open line show next uh, next week. Okay, uh, also you can find my books on Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader and Amazon Kindle and Amazon.com, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts uh, free the podcast on behindtheparanormal.com. Well, uh, coming up on almost 600 now. We're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. we're getting there. We're getting there. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to the charities I mentioned before and uh, others that Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, which, as we said, uh, doing amazing things for at-risk youth. Okay, so um, I'm a little disappointed tonight. We still have a little bit of time. No, okay. we don't. No, we, don't we don't have time. All no, right. So please. Okay. Uh, I was hoping that we have a very good friend, uh, Joe Citro from Vermont, Vermont's Bard of the Bazaar, uh, a very dear friend. He's been on the show a number of times, and he knew John Mack. So I was hoping he'd have a chance to call in tonight. I guess he didn't. But, yeah. Uh, Busy Mondays. Yeah. So again, you can take uh, Dr. John Mack's uh, books, Abduction, simply very, very uh, excellent uh, uh, book. He would check on uh, the subject that we were discussing this evening. Uh, we leave you this evening with a thought from some anonymous soul. You cannot change what you refuse to confront. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.